Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'll please stand with us and worship together. We're creation, 
suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry and from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified were the whole earth echoing his eminence his name would burst from sea to sky to the mountain tops we hear Christ be magnified oh Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me oh Finds us in most melody, and every human heart is made in crime. Woman and one enraptured him of praise. We'll sing Christ, be magnified. We'll be lifted high, Jesus, and oh. of my life. 
Amen. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord, give the Lord praise. All right, that is our desire that Christ be magnified in all that we do, including in our worship this morning. Well, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're excited to be here, and even if you're not excited to be here, would you take a moment and welcome those around you? All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. Well, good morning again. Want to take a moment and welcome you. I know we have some visitors here with us this morning. We're blessed to have you with us. You're our guest and we're delighted that you are here. We would love for you to let us know that you're here. There's a couple ways that you can do that. Um, if you're good with technology, there's a QR code that you can scan and fill out some information about yourself online. Or we have some connection cards out there um, in the foyer. So when the service is over, you'll see a couple ladies kind of standing off to the side at the little welcome desk. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to stop by there. We have a gift for you. Just let them know, hey, this is my first time here. Um, and so they'll give something to you and, and ask you just to fill out a card. Um, we would appreciate that very much. If you have any questions while you're here, any way that we can pray for you, uh, please don't hesitate to let us know that. Well, so yesterday... Uh, many of you were here. We had our youth dinner theater. And so I just want to share a little bit about that. If, if you weren't here, and even if those of you that were here, um, we had a lot of people work really, really hard uh, on that. A lot of time and effort went into that uh, from parents cooking the food, preparing the food, to parents helping set up, uh, to Miss Cynthia, who kind of organized the entire thing, um, and then our students. Uh, those who were in the play who worked really hard, a lot of practices, a lot of memorization, other students going to camp uh, who helped serve. And so I just want to share with you all um, just how generous you were. So this was a fundraiser for camp. Uh, after the first count, so we'll recount, there may be some other donations that came in, but last night we received $3,600. Which when you divide that by the number of kids that were here and helped and are going to camp, that took half of their cost of camp and just eliminated it. So you just saved parents 200 plus dollars. And for parents who have multiple kids over four or $500, you just saved them 
because of your generosity. So thank you, thank you very much. Now we are going to do one more fundraiser for the youth and then our kids who are going to camp get to be part of that. And that's the annual cake auction. That's going to be May 1st. Um, and so cakes may sell at a more reasonable price, right, because of your generosity already. But we will do one more fundraiser. Um, I think the, the theme is just your favorites, right? A few, a few of my favorites. So, like, if you have that favorite dessert that you make, cake or whatever, you, you bring that. And so we'll do that May 1st. And that, I've got to experience one of those. That was a lot of fun. And so we'll give you some more details uh, as we go forward. But thank you for your generosity I also have seen your generosity these last two plus years when it comes to giving to missions. And so a couple weeks ago was the Southern Baptist Week of Prayer. That was the official week of prayer. Um, so this time of the year, we take up an offering, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which Easter is not till almost the end of April. And so I thought, I don't, I don't want to be doing this for eight weeks. So we have not done the week of prayer yet. So when you came in this morning, there should have been an insert in your bulletin. That's a guide for you to be praying this week for different missionaries. But starting today, going through Easter Sunday, we're going to ask you to give to our North American missions offering. So every Sunday, we're going to have a video. We're going to emphasize that. We're going to have a time of prayer for that. There are envelopes there in the chairs uh, if you want to use those. If not, if you don't want to use an envelope, then if you write a check, you just need to clearly put on there for Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Our goal is $6,500. Um, so we got a video this morning, so check that out. We live in a Christian nation. That's what some people say. Maybe that's why they often ask, why do we need missionaries here? There are places in North America where there are very few churches. People are very open to conversation, but nine times out of 10, they have not heard of Jesus. There is no pastors, there is no people can share the gospel with them. There's lives that can be made whole with the gospel. And we're watching God change people's hearts and change people's lives. But I wish people knew how many more laborers we need in the mission field, because it's more than we can handle. Church planting is hard. We just gotta work together. We can do more together than we can do apart. We need all the help that we can get, and that's what Annie does. It allows for more laborers to come here. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering unites us all, big and little, young and old, black and white. We all give because we know that when we do, our communities will look more like this. And we all give because we know there's a name and a face on the other side of that gift. This offering, this gift that we're giving to and that everyone else is giving to, it does have a face. It's my face. This is the body. This is the body of Christ. That's what any Armstrong means to me. So how can you support missions here in North America? Pray, and that's the point of this week, that you would be spending time in prayer. Give, so you have that opportunity to give over the next five or six weeks. And then go. Be willing to go wherever God calls you, whatever opportunities you have here in North America to tell people about Jesus. So let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship together by singing a couple hymns. Father, we thank you. 
Thank you for being a God who loved us, who created us, who still loves us. God, we know who we are. Apart from Jesus, we are lost, we are wretched, we are sinners, we deserved hell. But God, being rich in mercy and love, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Father, this room is filled with men and women who were once dead, but who are now alive. Who have been, as we're going to talk about this morning, changed and transformed. We don't live the same way. We don't think the same way. We don't act the same way. We are different. The Spirit of God indwells us. And now we are to be men and women who live on mission, understanding that every face that we see, every voice that we hear, is somebody who either knows Jesus or who does not. And we are to share the gospel. We are, we are to love on them. We are to serve them. We are to pray for them. And hopefully one day, God, we have the opportunity to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we often think of the world being lost and the need for missionaries to go to the world, but Lord, lost people, the world has come to us. We're surrounded by lostness. And yes, here in America, there may be more churches than in a lot of other countries, but the need is still great. So Lord, would you help Northside to be a church that mobilizes herself to do, God, the, the main thing that you've called us to do, and that is to go make disciples. Father, that's not something we add in to what we already do, but that is to be the very heartbeat of your church, is a church that makes disciples. That sees lost people come to faith, believing in the name of Jesus, following him in baptism, right, and teaching them to obey all that you have given and instructed us to do. Father, we lift up our missionaries spread out all across North America. We're going to hear more of their stories and videos going forward. Father, we pray for them. We pray for the work that they're doing, hard work, difficult work, and some hard-to-reach places. But God, they're there. They're faithful. They're being a light in the midst of the darkness. And Christ is being magnified in that work. We just pray for them and pray that we would be a church that would continue to support and help in any way that we can. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together.
sent from God, from the Savior, thou hast led us into rest. We adore thee, we adore thee, by thy grace ever blessed. We adore thee, we adore thee, by thy grace forever blessed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, we give thee praise for the Four words of life. That's what we're singing today, isn't it? <clears throat> Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. words, wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sing the blessed ones here to all, wonderful words of life, sinnerless to the bobbing call, wonderful words of life, words of really Wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus only Savior, sanctify forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Thank you. you may be seated.
Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way to Children's Church, so second grade and under, you can make your way out. If everybody else will take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. 
We're going to look at just one verse this morning. So if you haven't been with us in a while or, or you're new, uh, back in August of last year, we started our study through the book of Ephesians, and we've come to a section of Scripture beginning in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, going through the end of the chapter, in which Paul is giving us five exhortations. Five exhortations, and I thought we could go through these quickly, or we could just spend a week on each exhortation. So that's what we've been doing. So we're going to look at verse 28 uh, this morning. But just an important reminder about these exhortations before we read verse 28. It's very important for you and I to remember what Paul's doing here is Paul is not teaching self-salvation. Paul is not saying, hey, if you would stop lying and start being honest, then you'll be saved and go to heaven. He's not teaching that. Paul is not saying in verse 28, hey, if you would stop stealing and get a job and work hard, you can work your way to God and be saved. He is not doing this. This is not a self-salvation. What he's saying, in light of what he's already said, that you are now no longer to walk as Gentiles. Why? Because they've learned Christ. They've come to know Christ, have a relationship with Christ. They once were dead, but now they're alive. They've experienced this resurrection that only Christ can bring by faith in the name of Jesus. In light of their being saved by faith through grace alone, now they live this way. They've been saved, they've been changed, now they're to live differently. So this is all about being saved in Jesus alone, but now how is our life different as a result? So this morning we come to verse 28. So would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to go back to verse 25 just so you can see what we've already covered as we come to verse 28. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That was exhortation number one. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. That was exhortation number two. And then verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. All of it is your word. It is God-breathed. And it is useful this morning for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training us in righteousness. So, oh God, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, earlier in the week, I did a little Google search. And here's what I typed in Google. You've got to be careful when you search on Google. Just a little heads up. But Google search, this is what I typed. Theft is running rampant. Because it does seem like theft is running rampant. And so, first page, here are the search results. Retail theft runs rampant. Mail theft is running rampant. The next headline states where identity theft runs rampant. The next headline, thanks to coronavirus, auto theft is running rampant. So coronavirus has given us many things, including auto theft running rampant. Here's the next headline, oil theft runs rampant. And the last one that caught my eye was porch piracy runs rampant. We are living in a day and age that if you have something, odds are somebody's trying to take it. 
Uh, one of our church members actually just had their car broken into the last couple days and stuff stolen, right? Some of you experienced this personally, a package taken off your porch or whatever it may be. Theft is running rampant. And so here's the thing with verse 28. This verse speaks and applies to every single one of us in this room. Whether you're five and you're not going to be getting a job for another 10 or 15 years, but eventually you're going to have to work. Or whether you're 85 and you've already worked and you've retired and now you're thinking, okay, what do I do with my life, right? Um, this verse speaks to all of us. And so it's applicable to all of us. So I want you to notice, first of all, the prohibition. And then I want you to notice the exhortation. And then I'm going to give you six words if you kind of think about uh, this verse and this idea of work. So here's the prohibition. Here's the thing that we are to remove. Remember, we are now followers of Christ. Jesus has saved us. So this thing should no longer be a part of our life. It is to be removed. Here's what he says, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. That's the prohibition. The thief is to no longer steal, right? Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. There were lost people who have been saved, pagans who have been saved. And he's saying, listen, this is to no longer be a part of your life. Let the thief no longer steal. The Greek word for steal is klepto, from which we get the word kleptomaniac, right? So no longer are you to steal. The scriptures are clear. Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. That's the eighth commandment of the 10. Matthew 19, 18, Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Romans 13, 9, this is the Apostle Paul writing, right? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. It's pretty clear in Scripture, old and new, stealing is a sin and you are not to do it. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Because I want to be very clear here in a point that I'm about to make. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The reality is our hearts are depraved and wicked. We, apart from Jesus, are self-centered. We are obsessed with self. This is why we steal, because we only care about ourselves. We don't care about anybody else, what belongs to them. We want what we want, and we're willing to take it. So we steal. Now this command, do not steal, is a broad command. It includes theft and all sorts of theft, including identity theft. It includes lying about your income taxes. It includes fudging the number of hours you worked. You work 35, but you say you worked 40. It includes taking the change off your father's bedside table when he doesn't know. If some of you still have change on your bedside table, that's more of like 20 years ago. There's no change for Malachi or Landon to take in our house. It includes plagiarism, stealing someone else's thoughts and claiming them as your own. Students, it includes cheating, taking somebody else's answers and making them your own, right? That's a form of stealing. 
And so two things about stealing. There's a lot that we could say with two things. Number one is this. Stealing is a sin, and we have all stolen at some point. Therefore, we are all sinners. That's why I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because it says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, and it goes on to mention all of these things, that we tend to focus on a couple of them and harp on them, but included in that is being a thief or an idolater. We're guilty of both of those. So if we have stolen, and stealing is a sin, and sin is an abomination to God, and sin deserves to be condemned in hell because of our sin, the reality is we are all sinners going to hell. All of us. The other day, Malachi and I were driving past the hospital. We drive past the hospital almost every time we come home. as We, we go to the house, and I just said, Malachi, I said, who needs to go to the hospital? He said, people who are sick. I said, why do sick people go to the hospital? He said, because they're sick. I said, okay. Who do they go see when they go to the hospital? He said, they go see doctors. The point was, sick people, go see a doctor, because doctors can help them feel better. And then I said, Malachi, we are sinners. We are sick in a different way, not physically, but we have sinned against God. And we need somebody who can heal us and make us whole. We need a Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. And Malachi said from the back seat, man, I sin a lot. And choir members, if you were watching him this morning, he was sinning a lot this morning. <laughs> I was distracted. I'm not trying to call him out, but I'm just saying. Sometimes it's not easy when you got little ones. But he said, I sin a lot. And in my heart, I begin to rejoice that he acknowledged he sins a lot. Why? Because if you cannot recognize you are a sinner, you will never see your need for a Savior. But when you say, I'm a sinner and I sin a lot, then you're on the road to recognizing you need a Savior and only Jesus can save you from your sins. So when you ask a kid, do you sin a lot? If their answer is no, they're not ready for Jesus. If their answer is yes, I sin a lot, well, now we got something to work with, right? And so the reality is we are all sinners. So hear me, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never confessed your sins, never repented of your sins, you need a Savior. You know it in the depths of your heart. You just try to suppress it. You know you're wretched. You know you're wicked. You know you need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. The choir just sang about him. He is our Savior, so give your life and your heart to Jesus this morning. First and foremost, that's our prayer for you, that you would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. So stealing is a sin we've all stolen, so we're all sinners. Here's the second point. Stealing is part of our old life. Listen to what Paul goes on. I intentionally have not read the rest of those verses. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. We were those things that he lists. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The reality, church, is if you have believed in the name of Jesus, you have been saved. He has given us the Spirit of God. He's given us resurrection life. He has transformed us so that we no longer live how we once lived. So stealing, though maybe something you still struggle with and is a temptation is to be part of the old life, not presently part of your new life in Christ. So that's the prohibition. Remove stealing, but it's not enough just to say, okay, I'm not going to steal any longer. Paul says, no, we need to replace it with something else. Because if you don't replace a sin with something godly, you'll just fill it with another sin. So remove stealing, replace it with something else. So here's the exhortation. 
What does he say? We continue there in Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather, notice the sharp contrast, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The exhortation is to replace stealing with doing honest work with his own hands. R.T. France writes, What may have been obtained previously with little effort is now to be achieved through diligent toil. Instead of using their hands to steal, believers ought to put them to good use through hard work. So rather than stealing, a Christian should be identified by working hard, doing honest work with our hands. So what I want to do the rest of our time this morning is I want to give you six words, and I just want us to think about this idea of work. Because if we're honest, when we say work, most of us are like, oh, work. So what does the Bible say about work? So I'm going to give you six words. Four of them are in the positive. Two of them are going to kind of talk about the negative, what it looks like when you don't work. So six words. Word number one is created. It's created. Work is created and given to us by God. By the creator, by the one that we worship, work is given to us, and it was created right by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God establishes a rhythm for us. God creates, works for six days. On the seventh day, right, he, he rests. And it's a rhythm for us. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden... Listen, to work it and keep it. This is really, really important as you try to understand the flow and the timeline of this. So God created us to work. It was part of his design. Really, really important. God did this before the fall, before sin. Right Before chapter 3, we read in chapter 2 that he took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So if God created work before the fall, then that means work is good and not a result of sin in the fall. Some of you are really bummed right now because you're like, man, I don't like work. That's part of the curse. No, God's created you to work. He's also created you to rest, but he's created you to work. It's good. Now, because of sin, because of the fall, because of the curse, work becomes hard. Work can be frustrating. Anybody just want to amen that right now? Right? Work can be hard. It can be frustrating. It goes sometimes, if we're honest, from pleasure to a whole lot of pain. Right? It's hard. But nevertheless, it's good. God has given us work. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, we see Paul. He says, and we labor working with our own hands. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Part of his work was the gospel work, but he also worked, right? He, he was a tent maker. And so when he tells us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, work, he's saying, I've modeled this for you. I've worked hard so as not to be a burden to you. We consider Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. We don't know how long Joseph lived, but no doubt we know Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus, right, learning from his, his dad here on earth, he would have worked. He would have done that kind of labor. 
So before we move to the next word, I just want us to think about this, the world, right? When the world thinks about work, when unbelievers, now again, not everybody, but when you just think about how does the world view work, I think sometimes, and maybe you view it this way, we have to work. I have to. I don't have a choice. If I don't work, my family doesn't eat, right? We can't live in a house. We can't drive cars. We have to work. As followers of Christ, I don't think it should be we have to work, but we get to work. We get to. It's a blessing. Hear me. You can, by God's grace, enjoy the work that you do. You can actually smile while you're on the job. You can come home at the end of the day and be like, man, I enjoyed that. I'm looking forward to going back and and being productive and getting things done. We can enjoy our work and we can glorify God through our work. That's the second word. Glorify. You can glorify God in your work. Jeremiah chapter 7. Came across these verses this week in, in my study and, and they just convicted me. So let me read them for you. Jeremiah 7 verse 9 says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known? Will you do all of that and then, and then come to my house, stand before me in this house? which is called by my name and say we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. He's saying, will you live your life this way, committing all these sins, then come to my house and think you can stand before me and say I'm delivered and then continue going and doing all these abominations. Look, church, we want to be people who worship God, but we cannot worship God rightly if there is sin and abominations in our heart. You cannot live your life however you want out here Monday through Saturday, then come in here, lift up your hands, offer up worship, and think God in heaven is pleased. That's an abomination. We are to glorify God in all that we do. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with that. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So Paul right here says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, right? Intense work, let him labor, doing honest work. That word honest is agathos. It can, your translation may say good, it may say useful. John MacArthur says that term agathos, good, uh, useful, honest, connotes that which is good in quality. And here refers to God honoring employment. A Christian, I think this is important, a Christian should never be involved in a job, a profession, work, or business that demands compromise of God's standards, that dishonors Him, violates His holy commands, or misleads or harms others in any way. Wherever you're working, whether it's a student, at school, whether it's at at home, or whether you have a job, and you're getting paid for that job, you are to be doing honest work, work that pleases the Lord, not compromising the Word of God or compromising the standards of God's Word. Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert have written a book called The Gospel at Work. Just look at how the gospel impacts the work that we do. And they write this, When glorifying Jesus is our primary motivation, our work, regardless of what that work is, in its particulars, becomes an act of worship. So that means when your focus is glorifying Jesus, whatever work you're doing can be an act of worship. 
So if you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a plumber or you are a greeter at Walmart, whatever you do, you can do it with joy and you can do it in a way that brings glory and honor to your king. Every line of work that you do, as long as it's pleasing to God. Now, there are some lines of work that Christians don't need to be involved in, but if it's pleasing to the Lord, you can honor him. Third word, and we're going to go a little negative. What is the negative side if we don't work? Third word is burden. It's burden. When you refuse to work, you become a burden to others. When you refuse to work, you become a heavier weight upon the people around you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8 says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. 1 Timothy 5, 8. Listen to these words. These are the words of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So for us as followers of Christ, not to work hard, not to try to provide for our family, for us not to care about that, Paul says, is worse than an unbeliever. Or we have a responsibility to our family to provide for them and to care for them. So think about this just in your personal life. And some of you, you, you know this from experience. You've been on the other side of this, the negative side of this. When you refuse to work, or when you have a child that refuses to work, or a family member, when you refuse to work hard, when you refuse to provide for yourself or for your family, you become somebody who lives off the work of others. Like 25-year-old, I don't want a job, I just want to live in my parents' basement. That may be the life to you, but I promise it's not the life to your mother and father. You become a burden to them. Because not only are they trying to provide for themselves, but they've raised you to be on your own, to be independent, to be, to be making a living for yourself, not still depending upon them. Now, are there always other circumstances? Yes, but I'm just talking about just being lazy. Like, I don't care. I don't want to get a job or I can't hold down a job. Like, that should not be true of us as Christians. Not only do we become a burden to parents or maybe even your, your children having to care for you because you're making poor decisions and not working hard, but, but you become a burden to a country. We are living in a culture in which we have people, and unfortunately Christians doing this as well, who are living off the government. They're living off our hard work and our paying taxes. Now look, there are government programs that are good and they're there to be temporary. Like if you lose your job because of unfortunate circumstances, unemployment is a helpful thing for you to you can get yourself back on your feet. It is not to be something that you live off for the rest of your life. You may have medical bills that pile up and you have to file bankruptcy and you're struggling to make ends meet. You may have to go on food stamps for a period of time. It, you, you may not be able to afford groceries. Something like that is helpful in the interim. And part of the problem, I think, why the government began to do it is because the church stopped doing it. Study the book of Acts. The church are the ones who are to care for each other. It's not the government's job. But once you start a program, you can't take it away. So we have people who are living. They know how to play the system. They're living off the government. They're living off of our hard work. I can't change them. But Christian, if that's you, 
you need to repent and go get a job and start working hard. And if you think, hey, that's going to, man, I can live a much easier life if I can live off the government. No, as a follower of Christ, the Bible says do honest work and you need to labor. Because if you don't, you become a burden to your family and to society. Now, let's talk about our church life. When you, who has been gifted by God with gifts and talents, aren't using your gifts and talents to serve in the church, it becomes a burden to other church members. Because when needs aren't being met by people who can meet that needs, one of two things has to happen. Either we stop the ministry or somebody else has to step in to meet the needs. And often what happens in church is the same people who are always stepping up to do the same things and they're overwhelmed and overburdened because a lot of church members are content coming on Sunday mornings and never serving. So as your pastor, as we think about working hard and laboring, if you are not serving in some capacity in this church, hear me with love in my heart, you need to step up. You need to say, hey, how can I serve? How can I help? Where can I get plugged in so that other people don't have to be doing all the work and so I can be glorifying God in the gospel work that he's doing here at Northside. So we don't want to be a burden. The fourth word, we continue to kind of look at the negative, and that is idleness. Idleness, refusing to work leads to idleness and sin. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 10 through 12 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And that's a bold statement. All scriptures breathed out by God, including that verse. If anyone's not willing to eat, let him not eat. Not willing to not work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Busy bodies. So here's my desire for you. My desire for you is that you can say, I'm living a life of faithfulness. I'm working hard in my job. I'm being faithful there. I'm working hard in the home. I'm being faithful there. I'm working hard in the church. I'm being faithful there. That we're not giving ourselves to idleness and sin. You want to stay out of trouble? Work hard. Most of you work probably a minimum of eight hours a day. Imagine what you could do with that eight hours if you weren't working. Well, a lot of people do that every day. That's a lot of sin and a lot of trouble they find themselves in because they don't got a job working hard or it's a lot of hours they're playing video games that are on their cell phone, not being productive, right? So work and it will keep you from idleness. Not working, being lazy is a sin. Don't be that way. Idleness, refusing to work leads to idleness and sin. And then here, here's a big one. Fifth word, share share you work so that you can share with anyone in need proverbs eleven twenty four. one gives freely yet grows all the richer another withholds what he should give and only suffers want romans 12 13 contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality first timothy uh, chapter 6 talks about serving and uh, giving as well. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now go back to Ephesians 4, 28 and notice what Paul says. 
but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that, henna, purpose clause, what's the purpose of working hard, doing honest work? So that you can make money and buy a home. So that you can make money and drive cars. Important, not what he says. So that you can make money and go on vacations. So that you can make money and provide for your family. Vacations are wonderful. Providing for your family is a must. That is not what the Word of God says. What does it say? You labor, you work hard, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's convicting. That's convicting. You, Paul says, God says, are to work hard so that you have money to give to help other people. That's the role of the church. If the church would be the church, we wouldn't need all these government programs. If we understood what I make, what I bring in is really, I have a responsibility to help other people, the government wouldn't have to step in and do what the church is supposed to do. So before Christ, here's who we were. I want to take. Man, we are takers. We are stealers. That's who we are before Christ. We just take. But after Christ, we become givers. After Christ, we want to share. This is a radical transformation. This is heart change that only the Holy Spirit of God can do. Right? He takes us from being self-centered to God-centered, which leads to helping others. You want a great example of this in the Bible? Just think of the wee little man Zacchaeus. Right? He climbs up into that tree for the Lord Jesus he wants to see. Right? And Jesus comes by. Zacchaeus come down from that tree. Right? They go to his home. So Zacchaeus, he climbs up in that tree. He climbs up as a tax collector. Tax collectors, right, were despised. They were collecting taxes, but they would always collect far more than they were supposed to and keep it for themselves, right? That's what they were doing. Radical transformation. Because what happens? Zacchaeus meets Jesus. And then we read these words. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What a change. It's like, I'm going to stop defrauding people. Whatever I've taken, I'm going to give back. That's what Jesus does. He changes our lives when you meet Jesus. I love this quote by William Blakey. He writes, Paganism would rob others of what is rightfully their own. Christianity leads me to give to others what is rightfully my own. I'm not robbing from others what is theirs, but rather what is mine that I've worked hard for, I'm now willing to give. So be, be people who are faithful to give. And then here's the last word, identity. As we close, your identity is in Jesus and not your work. The reality is some people are lazy. They're on one side of the spectrum. Don't want to work, don't want to have a job, we'll live off the government, we'll live off my parents. They don't want to work. Some people completely swing to the other end of the spectrum where all they do is work. And maybe that's you. You don't have a problem with being lazy. Your problem is all you do is work. For them, maybe for you, your passion, your joy, your satisfaction, your identity is found in your job or in your money or in the stuff that that job and money allows you to buy. Listen closely. You will worship something. Every one of us will worship something. Why? Because God created us to worship. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you will worship something. 
You will center your life around something. For far too many Christians, for far too many men, far too many fathers, their identity is found in their job. That's their life. Their wife suffers. Their family suffers because they're never home. They're never involved in church, never involved in ministry, because all they do is work. That's their identity. And if you take that away, if they lose their job, if they lose their purpose, they're left with nothing, because that's who you are. So some of you men, ladies, you're not struggling with the lazy part. You're on the other part where your identity is found in your job. So let me just give you a couple words of caution. Before I do that, Colossians 3.3 says, For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your identity, who you are, your purpose is in Christ. He's the one that defines that. Not your job, it's in Christ. So a couple words of warning and caution. Another quote, and then we're done. Number one is this, avoid idolatry. If work becomes your God, you're an idolater. If you can't go without work, if everything in your life is suffering because of work, that's idolatry. You need to repent of that. Second word of caution is this. Avoid making a name for yourself. Avoid making a name for yourself. Sometimes we're driven by success. We want to be known, and that's, that's what we want. So students, spread out in here. Listen, you're going to get a job. You're going to figure out what profession you're going to go into. You're going to start working. Avoid making a name for yourself. Hear me. If nobody knows your name, that's all right. As long as your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If the world never knows who Aaron Hornsby is, I'm okay with that. Because they don't need to know who I am. In fact, I don't want them to know who I am. It's time wired, right? I don't care about that. I, I, I don't want my identity even found in what I do as a pastor. It's in Jesus. And the third warning is avoid making work the primary source of your identity and your satisfaction. Some of you, if we're honest, some of you watching online, you need to spend less time working and more time sitting down with your kids. Less time working, more time sitting around the table with your family. That's where you're needed. And I'm not telling you to slack off at work, but I'm just saying you need to come up with a balance. You need to figure out that the rhythm of work and rest, of working and playing and enjoying God's Blessings. One more quote, and then we'll pray. Traeger and Gilbert in that same book write this. What makes you a success is being able to stand before King Jesus one day and say, Lord, where you deployed me, I served well. I gave it my all. I worked at it with all my heart because I was working for you, not for human masters. Can you say that this morning? Can I say that? Lord, wherever you deployed me, I was faithful there. Whether that's at home, full-time mom, working at home, am I being faithful there? Am I being faithful in this job, faithful in this profession? I want to serve well. I want to give it my all for the glory of Jesus. I want to provide for those that you have entrusted to me, and I want to be about gospel work. You want to talk about work that ultimately matters? It's gospel work. Because that's what endures for all eternity. Whether people know Jesus and live with him or don't know Jesus and go to hell. That's what matters. Gospel work. And so, let me just challenge you. If stealing is a sin that you struggle with, you need to turn from it and you need to replace it with working hard. But ultimately finding that your identity is in Christ 
and not in a job, not in what you do, but it's in what he has done for you. That's our hope. And if you don't know Jesus, will you give your life to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it was encouraging to folks, but convicting as well. Lord, help us, whether we're on one end of the spectrum being lazy or on the other end of the spectrum that our our purpose and our life is found in our job. God, that you would convict us of both of those extremes and that we would understand that we are in Christ and that we would give our lives to what matters, to the eternal things, that even in the temporal job, we can still bring glory to you. We can hope to see the gospel, the kingdom of God, expand in our secular workplaces with the people that we come in contact with. Father, we want to bring praise and glory to you. God, we want to be people. God, I want to be a father. I want to be a husband. I want to be a pastor. But when it's all said and done, and say, I was faithful, God, where you planted me. I was faithful, God, where you placed me. That I was faithful, God, where you sent me. And I know I cannot do that apart from the Spirit of God, so I'm always dependent upon you and always dependent upon your grace and your mercy. Father, forgive us if, when, we, when and how we fall short. May we continue to look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to worship together. The altar is always open if you want to come and kneel and pray. Let's worship together. Let us out of death.
Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, we're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, we're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, we're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, we're the giver of life. Oh, we lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, we're the giver of for just a moment. Just some announcement I want to draw your attention to. Hopefully you have checked those out in the bulletin. Church director, we took pictures last Sunday. Uh, we'll take pictures again next Sunday. There's still some spots where you can sign up for some times. I want to encourage you to get your pictures taken so we can put that together. Uh, you already see our Easter services. Wanted to get you the times in advance. Uh, you'll notice that we don't have Sunday school on Easter because of sunrise and giving t people time to go home and then come back. So if you're a Sunday school teacher, just make note of that. VBS, you see the dates for that. Miss Rachel needs your help, so see Rachel. You can sign up for that. Join us for our Bible studies on Wednesday night. Sisterhood group, um, I, about a week and a half ago, I just counted the number of pink slips in there. Man, I was really excited to see the number of you ladies who have signed up for that. Today's your last uh, day to sign up, so if you haven't signed up, uh, you can see Miss Deanna if you have more questions about that. Spanish for Missions class, that's this afternoon at 4 o'clock at Royal Baptist. I know that's difficult uh, for us because we have evening activities, but if you can make it over there, uh, I'll be there today. If you're interested in, in learning Spanish, it definitely would help us as we go to Ecuador on mission trips. And one more thing I want to mention to you. You see an announcement in here, and I think Bill Bailey talked about it last week. Uh, we're doing a fundraiser. Um, to help the Satterwhite family. So that's a family of, of Jennifer Bailey, her brother. Um, he just had a lot of health issues these last several months. Um, and with that comes just a lot of expenses. And so it's an opportunity for us, right, to be able to help. They, they attended Northside for a while. We're involved with our upward ministry. So they're going to actually be at a table out there, outside, when you go out there, kind of in the shade to your left, I believe, um, if you would like to buy tickets for that, you can do that. They'll have a card reader you can pay uh, with a credit card. Um, I think it's $15 for a plate. So look, if you just say, hey, I'm going to eat out one less time next month so I can do this to help a family who has fallen on hard times just to be the body of Christ uh, and encourage you to do that. Obviously, there's no pressure. You don't have to feel pressure to do that. But if that's in your heart to do that, they're out there. Uh, you can purchase those tickets. All right, Mike Edson is the deacon of the week. So he's going to come and pray for us. If you'll stand, just a reminder, we have all of our normal evening activities tonight. So come back and join us. If you don't know what those are, they're listed right there in the bulletin for the week ahead. Thank you, brother. Join me in prayer, please.
Heavenly Father, we first of all thank you for another gorgeous day to come out and worship you. I thank you for this this body of believers in here to to share in my joy and and just to share in in life with Lord. Uh, we want to thank you as the sermon goes for work. Help us to appreciate the work that we can do and help us to share in what we what we earn from that work with others to take care of those in need to love on others in all the ways that work provides ask that you be with us throughout the day lord bring us back this evening and just uh, comfort us in everything and everywhere, for us in Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs> 